Chapter Twenty Eight of Legacy by James H. Schmitz. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Legacy, Chapter Twenty Eight. Trigger couldn't keep from staring at the subspace station. It was unbelievable. One could still tell that the human construction gangs had put up a standard type of armored station down there. A very big, very massive one, but normally shaped, nearly spherical. One could tell it only by the fact that at the gun pits the original material still showed through. Everywhere else it had vanished under great black masses of material which the plasmoids had added to the station structure. All over that black, lumpy, lava-like surface the plasmoids crawled, walked, soared, and wriggled. There were thousands of them perhaps hundreds of different types. It looked like a wet, black, rotten stump swarming with life inside and out. Neither she nor the two men had made much mention of its appearance. All you could say was that it was horrible. The plasmoids they could see ignored the ship. They also gave no noticeable attention to the eight space flares the Commissioner had set in a rough cube about the station. But for the first two hours after their arrival, the ship's meteor reflectors remained active. An occasional tap at first, then an almost continuous pecking, finally a twenty-minute drum-fire that filled the reflector screens with madly dancing clouds of tiny sparks. Suddenly it ended. Either the King Plasmoid had exhausted its supply of that particular weapon, or it preferred to conserve what it had left. "'Might test their guns,' the Commissioner muttered. He looked very unhappy, Trigger thought. He circled off, put on speed, came back and flicked the ship past the station's flank. He drew bursts from two pits with a promptness which confirmed what already had been almost a certainty, that the gun installations operated automatically. They seemed remarkably feeble weapons for a station of that size. The de Vegas apparently had had sense enough not to give the plasmoid every advantage. The Commissioner plunked a test shot next to one of the black protuberances. A small fiery crater appeared. It darkened quickly again. Out of the biggest opening, down near what would have been the foot of the stump if it had been a stump, something long, red and worm-like wriggled rapidly. It flowed up over the structure's surface to the damaged point and thrust the tip of its front end into the crater. Black material began to flow from the tip. The plasmoid moved its front end back and forth across the damaged area. Others of the same kind came out and joined it. The crater began to fill out. They hauled away a little and surfaced. Normal space looked clean, beautiful, homelike, calmly shining. None of them except Lyad had slept for over twenty hours. "'What do you think?' the Commissioner asked. They discussed what they had seen in subdued voices. Nobody had a plan. They agreed that one thing they could be sure of was that the Vishni fleet people and any other human beings who might have been on the station when it was turned over to the King Plasmoid were no longer alive. Unless, of course, something had been done to them much more drastic than had happened to the Aurora's crew. The ship had passed by the biggest opening, like a low, wide, black mouth, close enough to make out that it extended far back into the original station's interior. The station was open and airless as Harvest Moon had been before the humans got there. "'Some of those things down there,' the Commissioner said, 
had attachments that would crack any suit wide open. A lot of them are big, and a lot of them are fast. Once we were inside, we'd have no maneuverability to speak of. If the termites didn't get to us before we got inside, suits won't do it here." He was a gambler, and a gambler doesn't buck impossible odds. "'What could you do with the guns?' Trigger asked. "'Not too much. They're not meant to take down a fortress. Scratching around on the surface with them would just mark the thing up. We can widen that opening by quite a bit, and once it's widened, I can flip in the bomb. But it would be just blind luck if we nailed the one we're after that way. With a dozen bombs we could break up the station, but we don't have them." They nodded thoughtfully. The worst part of that, he went on, is that it would be completely obvious. The Council's right when it worries about fumbles here. Trenest and the De Vegas know the thing is in there. If the Federation can't produce it, both those outfits have the Council over a barrel. Or we could be setting up the hub for fifty years of fighting among the member worlds sometime in the next few hours." Mantellish and Trigger nodded again, more thoughtfully. Nevertheless, Mantellish began suddenly, he checked himself. Well, you're right, the Commissioner said. That stuff down there just can't be turned loose, that's all. The thing's still only experimenting. We don't know what it's going to wind up with. So I guess we'll be trying the guns and the bomb finally, and then see what else we can do. Now look, we've got, what is it, nine or ten hours left? The first of the boys are pretty sure to come helling in around then. Or maybe something's happened we don't know about, and they'll be here in thirty minutes. We can't tell. But I'm in favor of knocking off now and just grabbing a couple of hours sleep. Then we'll get our brains together again. Maybe by then somebody has come up with something like an idea. What do you say?" "'Where,' Mantella said, "'is the ship going to be while we're sleeping?' "'Subspace,' said the Commissioner. He saw their expressions. "'Don't worry. I'll put her on a wide orbit and I'll stick out every alarm on board. I'll also sleep in the control chair. But in case somebody gets here early, We've got to be around to tell them about that space termite trick." Trigger hadn't expected she would be able to sleep, not where they were. But afterwards she couldn't even remember getting stretched out all the way on the bunk. She woke up less than an hour later, feeling very uncomfortable. Repulsive had been talking to her. She sat up and looked around the dark cabin with frightened eyes. After a moment, she got out of the bunk and went up the passage toward the lounge and the control section. Holati Tate was lying slumped back in his chair, eyes closed, breathing slowly and evenly. Trigger put out a hand to touch his shoulder and then drew it back. She glanced up for a moment at the plasmoid station in the screen, seeming to turn slowly as they went orbiting by it. She noticed that one of the space flares they planted there had gone out or else it had been plucked away by a passing twister's touch. She looked away quickly again, turned and went restlessly back through the lounge and up the passage toward the cabins. She went by the two suits of space armor at the lock without looking at them. She opened the door to Mantellish's cabin and looked inside. The professor lay sprawled across the bunk in his clothes, breathing slowly and regularly. Trigger closed his door again. 
Lyad might be wakeful, she thought. She crossed the passage and unlocked the door to the Ermitine's cabin. The lights in the cabin were on, but Lyad also lay placidly asleep, her face relaxed and young-looking. Trigger put her fist to her mouth and bit down hard on her knuckles for a moment. She frowned intensely at nothing. Then she closed and locked the cabin door, went back up the passage and into the control room. She sat down before the communicator, glanced up once more at the plasmoid station in the screen, got up restlessly, and went over to the commissioner's chair. She stood there, looking down at him. The commissioner slept on. Then Repulsive said it again. "'No!' Trigger whispered fiercely. "'I won't! I can't! You can't make me do it!' There was a stillness then. In the stillness it was made very clear that nobody intended to make her do anything. And then the stillness just waited. She cried a little. So this was it. All right, she said. The armor suit's triple light beam blazed into the wide, low, black, wet-looking mouth rushing toward her. It was much bigger than she had thought when looking at it from the ship. Far behind her, the fire-needles of the single gun-pit which her passage to the station had aroused still slashed mindlessly about. They weren't geared to stop suits, and they hadn't come anywhere near her. But the plasmoids looked geared to stop suits. They were swarming in clusters in the black mouth like maggots in a rotting skull. Part of the swarms had spilled out over the lips of the mouth, clinging, crawling, rippling swiftly about. Trigger shifted the flight controls with the fingers of one hand, dropping a little, then straightening again. She might be coming in too fast. But she had to get past that mass at the opening. Then the black mouth suddenly yawned wide before her. Her left hand pressed the gun-handle. Twin blasts stabbed ahead, blinding white, struck the churning masses, blazed over them. They burned, scattered, exploded, and rolled back burning and exploding in a double wave to meet her. "'Too fast,' Repulsive said anxiously. "'Much too fast!' She knew it, but she couldn't have forced herself to do it slowly. The armor-suit slammed at a slant into a piled, writhing, burning hardness of plasmoid bodies, bounced upward. She went over and over, yanking down all the way on the flight controls. She closed her eyes for a moment. When she opened them again, the suit hung poised a little above black, uneven flooring, turned back half toward the entrance mouth. A black ceiling was less than twenty feet above her head. The plasmoids were there. The suit's light-beams played over the massed, moving ranks—squat bodies and sinuous ones, immensities that scraped the ceiling, stalked limbs and gaping nutcracker jaws, blurs of motion her eyes couldn't step down to define into shapes. Some still blazed with their guns' white fire. The closest were thirty feet away. They stayed there. They didn't come any closer. She swung the suit slowly away from the entrance. The ring closed all about her, but it wasn't tightening. Repulsive had thought he could do it. She asked in her mind, "'Which way?' She got a feeling of direction, turned the suit a little more, and started it gliding forward. The ranks ahead didn't give way, but they went down. Those that could go down. Some weren't built for it. 
the suit bumped up gently against one huge bulk, and a six-inch, pale-blue eye looked at her for a moment as she went circling around it. Eyes for what? Somebody in the back of her mind wondered briefly. She glanced into the suit's rear-view screen and saw that the ones who had once gone down were getting up again, mixed with the ones who came crowding after her. Thirty feet away. Repulsive was doing it. So far there weren't any guns. If they hit guns, that would be her job and the suit's. The King Plasmoid should be regretting by now that it had wasted its experimental human material. Though it mightn't have been really wasted. It might be incorporated in the stuff that came crowding after her and kept going down ahead. Black ceiling, black floor seemed to stretch on endlessly. She kept the suit moving slowly along. At last the beams picked up low walls ahead, converging at the point toward which the suit was gliding. At the point of convergence there seemed to be a narrow passage. Plasmoid bodies were wedged into it. The suit pulled them out one by one, its steel grippers clamping down upon things no softer than itself. But it had power to work with, and they didn't at the moment. Behind the ones it pulled out there were presently glimpses of the swiftly weaving motion of giant red worm shapes sealing up the passage. After a while they stopped weaving each time the suit returned and started again as it withdrew, dragging out another plasmoid body. Then the suit went gliding over a stilled tangle of red worm bodies, and there was the sealed end of the passage. The stuff was still soft. The guns blazed, bit into it, ate it away, their brilliance washing back over the suit. The ceiling gave way before the suit did. They went through and came out into—she didn't know what they had come out into. It was like a fog of darkness, growing thicker as they went sliding forward. The light beam seemed to be dimming. Then they quietly went out as if they'd switched themselves off. In blackness she fingered the light controls and knew they weren't switched off. Repulsive! she cried in her mind. Repulsive couldn't help with the blackness. She got the feeling of direction. The blackness seemed to be soaking behind her eyes. She held the speed throttle steady and fingers slippery with sweat and that was the only way she could tell they were still moving forward. After a while they bumped gently against something that had to be a wall it was so big, though at first she wasn't sure it was a wall. They moved along it for a time, then came to the end of it and were moving in the right direction again. They seemed to be in a passage now, a rather narrow one. They touched walls and ceiling from time to time. She thought they were moving downward there was a picture in front of her. She realized suddenly that she had been watching it for some time. But it wasn't until this moment that she became really aware of it. The beast was big, strong, and angry. It bellowed and screamed, shaking and covered with foam. She couldn't see it too clearly, but she had the impression of mad, staring eyes and a terrible lust to crush and destroy. But something was holding it. Something held it quietly and firmly, for all its plunging. It reared once more now, a gross, lumbering hugeness, and came crashing down to its knees. Then it went over on its side. The suit's beams flashed on. Trigger squeezed her eyes tight shut, blinded by the light that flashed back from the black walls all around. 
Then her fingers remembered the right drill and dimmed the lights. She opened her eyes again and stared for a long moment at the great gray mummy shape before one of the black walls. Repulsive? she asked in her mind. Repulsive didn't answer. The suit hung quietly in the huge black chamber. She didn't remember having stopped it. She turned it now slowly. There were eight or nine passages leading out of here, through walls, ceiling, floor. Repulsive! she cried plaintively. Silence. She glanced once more at the king plasmoid against the wall. It stayed silent, too. And it was as if the two silences cancelled each other out. She remembered the last feeling of moving downward and lifted the suit toward a passage that came in through the ceiling. She hung before it, considering. Far up and back in its darkness, a bright light suddenly blazed, vanished and blazed again. Something was coming down the passage fast. Her hand started for the gun handle. Then it remembered another drill and flashed to the suit's communicator. A voice crashed in around her. Trigger, 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 it sobbed. Ape, she screamed. You aren't hurt? End of chapter 28